welcome to the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Lyon, and I want to thank you for joining me as we explore the world of small grains production and research at Washington State University. We have weekly discussions with researchers from WSU and the USDA ARS to provide you with insights into the latest research on wheat and barley production. If you enjoy the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast, do us a favor and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. And leave us a review while you're there so others can find the show too. My guest today is Craig Morris. Craig is the director of the USDA ARS Western Wheat Quality Lab in Pullman. Hello, Craig. Hey, Drew. Craig, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I grew up on a uh, corn, soybean, livestock farm in Iowa. Uh, went off to Iowa State University and got an undergraduate degree in agronomy and seed science. I uh, had never seen a wheat plant in my life up until then <laughs> going to Kansas State University uh, for a master's and Ph.D. Okay. The big wheat state, Kansas <laughs> State. All right. Tell us how you ended up in Pullman after all this. Yeah. Well, I originally came to Pullman to do a postdoc with uh, Dr. Kay Simmons, uh, and she was working on pre-harvest sprouting. So kind of a timely topic from the 2016 low falling number. So, yeah, it was actually uh, seed dormancy, pre-harvest sprouting that first brought me to Pullman. Okay. And when was that? I uh, hate to admit it was 1987. 1987. <laughs> I've been That's, here a while. <laughs> it's gone back. And when did you become the, the director of the Western Wheat Quality Lab? Yeah, so I took over at the end of uh, 1989 from a wonderful guy by the name of uh, Gordon Rubenthaler, who was the uh, my predecessor. The Wheat Quality Lab is really quite a nice resource here on the Pullman campus. Can you tell us a little bit about what the Wheat Quality Lab does? Sure. Um, the USDA ARS Western Wheat Quality Lab is one of four regional wheat quality labs um, maintained by the federal government and expressly purposed to work with wheat breeders to develop new varieties for growers. And then secondly, to conduct um, what we call mission-oriented research um, uh, related to, to wheat, uh, grains, um, problems of facing U.S. agriculture. So some of the tests you run and some of the samples come into you, can you go through some of those things? Because I think you do a whole bunch of different <laughs> things that I, I'm not sure our listeners all understand what goes into determining whether a certain variety is good quality or, or poor quality. Sure, sure. Yeah, I'd be delighted to. Um, and I'll, I'll preface this by saying that the breeding process, uh, the process of developing new wheat cultivars, I like to um, compare to, say, you know, any sort of professional sports. Let's say it's baseball. And so you have thousands and thousands of kids playing little league ball. Very few are going to ever end up in the majors, and it's exactly the same with wheat breeding. The success rate um, from, from what we do in the quality lab, and this would be for any of the breeders, is less, well, it's around a 0.1%. Wow. <laughs> so on an annual basis, we evaluate something on the order of 4,000 to 5,000 individual experimental wheat lines. And from that, you know, maybe we're lucky if we get two or three or four new varieties. Now, we um, uh, focus specifically on uh, public breeding programs. So my lab covers, uh, of course, Washington State University, Oregon State University, um, a little bit with the University of Idaho, Utah State, et cetera. Um, 
I often get the question, do you do anything with private breeding companies? And we do on a very limited basis. Um, the, the main way we get a look at uh, private breeding lines, private breeding varieties would be through the WSU Extension Nurseries. Um, those uh, samples get processed just like we would Dr. Aaron Carter's or Dr. Mike Pumphrey's samples, uh, complete evaluation. I'll come back to some of the specific tests that we do. Um, those data from the, uh, from the Extension Nurseries um, go directly into a Washington Grain Commission-funded project uh, and that we call the Genotype and Environment um, Study. And that gets uh, distributed as uh, the preferred variety pamphlets. So, you know, how do, we, how do we make those judgments for the preferred variety pamphlets? Well, we do an exhaustive, extensive um, evaluation of grain, uh, milling performance, uh, dough uh, properties, baking properties, and of course it differs depending on whether we're doing, say, hard wheats or soft wheats. Soft wheats are targeted towards uh, things like cookies, cakes, some styles of noodles. Um, the hard wheats, whether it's hard white, hard red winter, DNS, what have you, of course is, is really focused towards bread uh, and yeast leaven products that, that have typically stronger gluten, stronger dough properties. You know, the breeders, as, as my perception is that, you know, their number one thing they're going for is yield, and they're really breeding for it. And uh, sometimes something that yields well has good quality, sometimes it doesn't. Can you give us an idea of how frequently quality kills a variety <laughs> so that something the breeder might be excited about, but the quality just isn't, isn't there? Is that yeah. a common thing or not so common? Or? Well, I would say that I've, I have heard people um, tell me that um, breeding, whether it's wheat breeding or other crops, is really an exercise in throwing things away. <laughs> because again, if you're keeping less than 1% of, of everything that you're starting out with, obviously you need reasons to throw stuff away. Um, and so uh, th there's a multitude of selection criteria, and uh, you know I, I defer to the breeders to give you the straight scoop on that, but clearly things. Yield is absolutely um, important and probably is number one because a new variety, if it can't out-yield what's already out there, you know why, why release it? Why burden the seed growers? Nobody's going to grow it anyway unless there's some particular advantage. But in addition to yield, obviously we like to have um, good disease resistance. Um, it has to have the right plant height. It has to thresh well. It has to you know resist lodging, on and on and on. All the agronomic and, and uh, um, traits that need to be there for the grower. Um, in terms of end-use quality, it's, it's a pretty rigorous um, bar to, to meet. Um, and so um, I think that we've made considerable progress, progress, say, in the last, oh, probably 10 years for sure, maybe 20 years, in terms of developing a better predictive test that we can use early on in the, uh, the breeding process. Uh, to give the listeners an idea, we would typically start seeing samples um, about the fourth generation after the initial cross is made. Um, we would continue testing um, a given line uh, for three or four years subsequent to that. 
Um, usually at that point, if it's, if it's made, if it's met all the criteria and is still retained in the program, it will move into the extension nursery. And then we would look at it three more years after that. At that point or anywhere along the line, it either gets rejected or it keeps moving forward. And eventually, if it passes, again, all the criteria, um, in our specific case, Washington State University would make a decision whether to re release that to growers or not. So, okay. Yeah. So the, the Agricultural Research Service is the official research arm of the USDA. So what research projects do you have going on currently? Yeah. Um, much of my research, um, and I, this is true over the almost 30 years that I've been doing this, have been focused on kernel texture. And you might say, well, you know, why, is, why, why all that effort on kernel texture? Um, it's really one of probably the single most important trait uh, related to milling and end-use quality, flower quality. And so um, we were really the first to identify the underlying genes that makes soft wheat soft and hard wheat hard. Um, and so we really have a established ourselves with an international reputation for working in that area. We continue on today. Um, we um, have, have uh, extended that research into developing what we call soft kernel durum wheat. Uh, we also have a project right now on, on, on uh, what we also call super soft wheat. Uh, this is where um, the kernels, and we still don't fully understand it, are much, much softer than even soft white. Uh, we would like to understand genetically why that is. We would like to understand does that particular trait confer advantages, uh, economic potential for millers, bakers, and <laughs> and similarly growers. Mm -hmm. um, you know, is it good for something that we really um, don't do well at now or do could do better at? Okay. Is a better way to say that. Um, we're very excited about the soft Durham. That's been decades in the works. Um, it's just entered commercial production here in the last, uh, oh, about three years. Um, still, still trying to uh, ramp up production, um, but it's a completely new type of wheat and really offers some uh, exciting possibilities uh, to food processors. Okay. Well why don't you tell us a little more about this soft durum? My understanding, which uh, granted isn't uh, real thorough, is that durum is a very hard uh, type of wheat, and therefore its uses could only are are rather limited. It has mm -hmm. been in spaghettis and and uh, things like that. But this new soft durum it allows you to do other things besides spaghetti. I yeah, guess. yeah, and everything you said is exactly correct. Um, you know, Durham wheat is, is actually a different species than, than the wheat we, we grow in Washington State um, and is much, much older. Durham wheat uh, evolved or, or came into existence about a half a million years ago, whereas all the, the bread wheats, whether it's soft white um, or, or hard red, whatever, these, these wheats really only evolved in about nine to 10,000 years ago. The, the reason I bring this up and the reason it's important is because as, as plants exist in environments, they tend to accumulate um, uh, genes to resist uh, pests. And whether it's stripe rust or, or insects or what have you, 
Um, and so the fact that durum wheat has been around for so much longer, it's a really rich genetic resource. It's also developed um, um, great resistance to drought and heat. And so with all these things going for it, uh, one can ask, well, why don't we grow more of it? Uh, globally, the, the split is about 90% uh, bread wheat, 10% durum wheat. Well, as you indicated a moment ago, um, the primary limitation is really our culinary uses of durum wheat. It actually, from a, just a plant standpoint, offers great potential for farmers. Um, you also were correct in stating that durum wheat has very, very hard kernels. That influences the milling. We actually don't mill durum into flour. We actually mill it into a coarse, uh, gritty thing that we call semolina. Its primary uses, at least in the United States, is, is indeed in pasta, spaghetti, uh, penne, various types of, uh, of, of uh, pasta products. And so if we could expand those culinary uses, potentially then we could, we, there would be more consumer demand, farmers could grow more of it, take advantage of, of its inherent uh, attributes. And so the primary thing, as I mentioned earlier about uh, working on kernel texture, that really very hard kernel texture limited our ability to use it. And so what our research accomplished was to, to through non-GMO means, to move the genes from soft white into durum. And voila, soft kernel durum wheat. And it's really completely reinvented and transformed durum as a potential wheat crop. So can you tell us a little <laughs> bit about what some of the potential uses are or you know, are people using it currently or mm -hmm. thinking about using it? Where, sure. where are you wanting to take this? Yeah. The, uh, the Probably one of the more important things is it still makes excellent pasta. And the whole notion has been turned on its head that you can only make pasta, high-quality pasta, out of semolina. And that's clearly proven to not be the case. Uh, the flour that we make out of soft kernel durum has the particle size distribution and, uh, of, of like soft white. And really, if you think about it, soft kernel durum actually is a soft white. It's just a different species than the soft white we grow here in Washington State. And so there are many, um, there's a number of other sort of technical aspects of a soft durum flower that are, are more desirable and in a sense better than semolina. Things like the, the amount of damage to the starch granules, uh, the water absorption uh, capability. So those are all improvements over, over hard kernel durum, over semolina, and that's why it makes excellent to even better pasta. The second part of the answer, though, is that now that we have a flour, as opposed to semolina, we can actually start thinking about making hearth breads. Um, they actually make great cookies. In our lab, the cookie test is one of the main soft wheat quality tests, and soft durums made, make outstanding cookies. Um, they tend to, the current lines tend to have a little bit weaker gluten, so they're not best for pan bread. But for things like uh, baguettes, hearth breads that are cooked without a pan, they really make outstanding products. Um, and not surprisingly, they're, they're yellow, like spaghetti, and they have a tremendously great um, aroma, flavor, um, appearance. And so that's kind of where some of the things are headed. There are some local products um, here on the Palouse, so if any of the listeners are ever in Poland or in Moscow, Idaho, there's some things that you can get here locally. Like? <laughs> um, one of my favorites is um, 
Porchlight Pizza here in beautiful downtown Pullman, Washington. Uh, the crust is made with a 100% soft kernel durum flour. Uh, locally grown down in Lewiston, locally stone milled at uh, Harvest Ridge. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's a really neat uh, story, I think, in terms of local food, diversifying agriculture, really uh, kind of connecting what we say fork to table. Sort of thing. Yeah. That's a very interesting story and, <laughs> and look forward to seeing more of this around. My guess is with all these um, specialty bakeries and stuff, we might just start seeing some of them adopting that. So I'll keep my eyes open for that. So do you do work with crops other than, than wheat? Yeah, we have. Um, we've worked with Dr. Kevin Murphy uh, on quinoa. Um, we shared a, a PhD student. She did an outstanding job in characterizing a lot of the genetic variation for quinoa uh, seed properties um, and processing properties. Um, and so uh, we've also worked uh, some on Hollis barley. Uh, we currently are working with the U.S. Uh, dry Pea and Lentil Council on a, uh, a dry yellow split pea project. So really anything related to, to grains um, doesn't have to be wheat. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of what we do. <laughs> okay. So if our listeners want to learn more about the Western Wheat Quality Lab, uh, is there some place they can go to get that information? Yeah, we've got a, we've got a website. Um, I, would, uh, I would encourage anybody, drop me an email, give me a f- call on the phone, any questions about wheat, certainly any questions about grains, I'd be uh, happy to, uh, to try to help out. Um, we have been participating in your Wheat Academy for the last uh, two or three years. I think that's a great opportunity for, uh, for people to, to learn more about, to come to campus and learn more about what's going on. Uh, we also do a one-day uh, cereal school, um, if you'd be interested. And that's a very hands-on sort of all-day thing. If you'd like to, uh, if you're interested in that, um, get a hold of the Washington or Idaho Wheat Commission. They can put you in touch with us there. So Okay, we'll try to get that web address and phone number and contact information in our show notes. Very interesting work being done at the Western Wheat Quality Lab, and, and some of your own research is, is uh, got some real application. We look forward to learning more in the future. Thanks for joining us today, Craig. You bet. Thank you, Drew. Thanks for joining us and listening to the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app so you never miss an episode. And leave us a review while you're there. If you have questions for us that you'd like to hear addressed on future episodes, please email me at drew.lyon at wsu.edu. You can find us online at smallgrains.wsu.edu. You can also reach out on Facebook and Twitter at WSU Small Grains. The WSU Wheat Beat Podcast is a production of Connors Communications in the College of Agricultural, Human, and Natural Resource Sciences at Washington State University. I'm Drew Lyon. We'll see you next week.